really, I really want to give this episode like a really like needlessly incendiary title, like Netflix versus Vertigo. I'm my own grandpa. Everybody, I'm my own grandpa. It's somebody I know, but it really is so. Knack for theme songs continues. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> Tom Arnold <laughs> from the movie The Stupids with I'm My Own Grandpa. Um, it'll fit in today's episode, I swear. You'll see. <laughs> um, hey, welcome back to another Vertigo Voices. Here we are again. Yeah, I'm Colby. I'm Sophia drinking coffee. And I'm drinking coffee, too. Mm-hmm. I'm not hungover today, though, so... <laughs> We're progressing. Uh, so to get things going, got news. There's been a ad on Facebook for Sweet Tooth Season 3. Netflix is like churning out the Vertigo adaptations like crazy. Obviously Sweet Tooth has been going for three years now. Then we've got Dead Boy Detectives coming. The show that we're talking about today, Bodies, Sandman. Lots. I feel like there's others, but I'm not hungover, but I am foggy. <laughs> Late night. So, yeah, when is it supposed to come out? Season three? Uh, I don't think there's a release date yet. I, sometime within the next few months, I'm sure. Okay. I think it's just like coming soon. I don't know. Uh, anyway, I'll look forward to that. I still haven't finished season two, so I'll just run the whole series when it's done. Yeah, I think so too. Just start from the beginning. In a couple weeks is the Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle, and I'm going to that. I haven't been in quite a few years, but my kid and I are going. Oh, cool. Uh, going to the first, his first, like, major Comic-Con. He's been to the one in town here, which is a lot of fun, but uh, we're going to, going to the big one, one of the big ones. It's not, not San Diego, but it's a pretty big one. And uh, Shelly Bond is going to be there. So I'm going to get a chance to meet her in person for once. We've talked over Facebook plenty of times, but we'll meet for real. Realsies. That's fabulous in the flesh. Somebody who is super important in the foundation of Vertigo. Which reminds me, that's another episode that I would like to do later. Uh, we've, we, we like, we'll talk about uh, Neil Gaiman as being like a patron saint of Vertigo comics. Or uh, Karen Berger as being like the god of Vertigo. But I think it would be fun to either make our own like Vertigo Hall of Fame of like 10, 15, 20, however many most important people to the foundation of Vertigo, or a Vertigo Mount Rushmore, like limit it to the top four. Oh, even harder. The problem with that is that you have to be, Karen Berger has to be one. Of course. And I feel like Shelley Bond has to be up there too. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, well, then do I go with artists, writers, or editors? Because Tom Payer was a very important editor early on. Uh, there's tons of writers who are very important. So I don't know. I feel like Mount Rushmore would be too difficult and too limiting. <laughs> it could inspire some interesting debate. Mm. No, I'm, I, That's true. I'm with you. I think maybe it would be nice to start with something where we have our various choices. And then if we have to narrow it down, maybe we could uh, um, twist our arm that way. We spoke briefly about the DC movie reorg. I don't know if there's any more to say about that other than like the Superman movie. Superman Legacy is moving along. Sounds very interesting. We have a new Superman and Lois and Lex Luthor. 
think Jimmy Olsen was cast too. I don't remember. And a bunch of the Justice League members are going to be in it. Nathan Fillion is playing Guy Gardner. Oh, okay. That should be good. I can't. I know Hawkwoman is in it, and Mister Terrific. Maybe someone else. Oh, Metamorpho. Anthony Kerrigan is playing Metamorpho. Who, if you've never seen Anthony Kerrigan, he just naturally looks like Metamorpho. He was on the show Gotham as Victor Zaz. Oh, yeah. And there's a picture of him and Metamorpho yeah. side by side. <laughs> and they look fucking identical. Pretty much. My favorite thing that he's in is the show Barry. He plays a character named Noho Hank. Noho <laughs> Who Hank. is a fucking fantastic character. He's, uh, I think he's Chechen or Russian. I can't remember. He's a, a drug smuggler who is all about his uh, prim and proper lifestyle. I haven't got around to watching Barry yet, but I think oh, it's very good. fucking fantastic. Hey, the fact that the Justice League are going to be in it is pretty fucking cool to me. Right, right. And especially Guy Gardner. I'm so glad they're in Guy Gardner. <laughs> there was a Green Lantern Corps TV series in the works a couple of years ago, and they cast Guy Gardner in it. And it's this guy from fucking American Horror Story. What the hell oh. is that guy's name? Finn Wittrock was cast as Guy Gardner. And when they cast him, like, fuck you. He's not Guy Gardner. Look at that no. fucking guy. <laughs> he's, uh, he's too pretty, yeah. I feel like. I just, I yeah, I don't. And I, I've seen him in a lot of stuff. And his, I don't know, his vibe just doesn't fit for fucking Guy Gardner of all people. No, not really. But... I don't see it. He's not playing the role anymore. <laughs> okay, he, he was cast for like two fucking years. This was when Warner Brothers was doing their wheel spinning on everything. We'll, we'll hire a director and then just not do anything for a movie. Like, they hired Gareth Evans to make a Deathstroke movie and then just didn't do anything for two or three years and then he left the project. And then they hired somebody to make a Nightwing movie and same thing, just... Nothing happened. <laughs> the director's like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> they don't tell us anything, man. All speculation. <laughs> So anyway, the fact that the fact that James Gunn is a guy who makes movies and actually gets them made makes me feel like this is going to be really good. I'm much more interested now that he's involved, honestly. Do you know that Guy Gardner was already in a movie? Yes, but I can't remember which one. The JLA pilot from the 90s. Oh, no wonder I can't remember. Look at that. That's a choice, too. He's played by Matthew Settle, and even though he's named Guy Gardner, he has design elements from, like, all of the Green Lanterns. As an actor, he just looks like Hal Jordan. He does, yeah. He has Guy Gardner's vest. That's Kyle Rayner's logo and mask. He also has one singular arm gauntlet, like Kyle Rayner, for some reason. Hmm. I don't know why just the one. And he has... Alan Scott's ring. <laughs> no Guy Gardner vibes there at all. Well, he's got the Guy Gardner vest. Well, he's kind of, yeah, but I mean. That's the most important <laughs> costume choice for Guy Gardner. That's like buying fake Chanel, you know? It's, <laughs> it's not quite the real thing. If, if anyone listening has no idea what I'm talking about, track down the Justice League of America TV pilot from 1997. I'm sure it's on YouTube. I have a DVD of it. <laughs> it's one of the weirdest things you'll ever see. And it's like, what if Justice League but Friends? <laughs> it's totally, it's like, it could be an episode of Friends. It's ridiculous. That's great. David Ogden Steers plays Martian Manhunter. 
Is the guy that played the Crypt Keeper? He plays the Atom. The Crypt Keeper plays the Atom? Yeah. What the fuck is his name? John John Kassir. Oh, yes. Okay. Fire is played by... What the hell is her name? She's on Picard. I can't think of her name now. She's a really good actress. Michelle Hurd. And Kim Oya plays Ice. Look at that fucking costume. That is very figure skater. That's the only scene she wears it in the movie, by the way. She doesn't wear anything else. But Miguel Ferrar is the villain. Uh, He's a shining spot in that shitty movie. I'm sure sincere efforts were made, but some of that stuff. Maybe, maybe. It just kind of reminds you of what a slog uphill it was for comic book movies. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. So... Nathan Fillion is Guy Gardner. I yeah, think wow. Great. Is that how we got onto this? Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, Nathan Fillion's Guy Gardner in the new DC universe. And obviously he's already played a DC character recently. He was Arm Fall Off Boy or T- TDK <laughs> in, in the Suicide Squad. A very small but good role. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see what how he looks as Guy Gardner. I know that, what's his name? Ja- James Gunn had said that only like half the reason he cast him was just so he could force him to have a bowl cut for six months or however long <laughs> filming is. Aw, oh, friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll be an interesting look for sure. I have a note that says shirt story, question mark, funny, question mark. I don't know. I don't know oh. what that is. We'll have to remember. Um, come back to that. Put yeah. it in that. <laughs> uh, so today, then, we've also got a Colby Has Issues... So many. I got, yeah, so this was a series that was going for a couple of year, year and a half, year, I don't know, that I just finally got every issue of and then read it, called Danger Street. Okay. It's by Tom King, and I can't remember the artist. It only shows his last name. Anyway, this is a black label book, so it's uh, technically, you know, the heir to Vertigo. Very, very strange collection of characters in this story. Hey, there's Metamorpho, isn't uh-huh. it? Hello. So, the story, it's like a fractured narrative, different characters, and then their stories all come together. So, in one story, Metamorpho, Warlord, and Starman take Dr. Fate's helmet in an attempt to summon Darkseid so that they can then capture him and give him to the Justice League. And then when that happens, they'll be like shoe-ins to be members. Okay. In doing so, they accidentally summon Atlas, who's another new god. And they kill him accidentally, not before also accidentally killing a child who's one of the dingbats of Danger Street. And they are friends with Lady Cop, <laughs> who is then uh, looking into this murder, while at the same time... The green team hire Jack Ryder, the the creeper, to be the voice of their new television station to discredit the outsiders (laughs) while they are being hunted by the Manhunter, and they hire Codename Assassin to stop him. And eventually all of these disparate storylines come together. But... Okay, it's hard for me to not know a DC character. <laughs> like, you just, in, in all these, like, I know most of these characters. Atlas, he was in All-Star Superman. Darkseid, everyone knows him. High Father, he's the opposite of Darkseid. Creeper, you know, he was on the Justice League in the 80s. Uh, Warlord, Travis Morgan, he's from the Warlord series by Mike, Mike Grell. But, like, 
codename Assassin? Never fucking heard of him in my life. <laughs> the Dingbats of Danger Street? Like, <laughs> what the fuck? They were a Jack Kirby creation, turns out. They'd only been in, like, an, ish, an issue or two in the 70s. I even knew who fucking Lady Cop was. <laughs> she was on an episode of Arrow. Like, I, I know most of DC's stable of characters. So when I'm... But I, I know who the green team is, for fuck's sake. <laughs> when I know, like, the dingbats of Danger Street, like, what the fuck? Uh, anyway, really interesting, weird story that was a lot of fun to read. Um, my only complaint with it is it's DC Black Label. There's a shitload of swearing in it, and it's all censored. But, like, this is Black Label. You can say fuck. It's okay. <laughs> but, no, can't do that. Huh. <laughs> That's weird. It was a good read. Twelve issues, fairly, fairly uh, easy. Like it's a pretty quick read. Okay. And it's narrated by Fate's Helmet, and it's like it starts with like somebody walking into a bar and just setting Fate's Helmet on the on the the bar stool or not bar stool the uh, the bar, and it like shifts and like looks towards the reader and it's like, "Hello there, dear reader." <laughs> Allow me to regale you with a tale of knights and dragons. And then he, like, goes into the... And so as he's narrating, he describes everyone as if they're, like... Like, oh, the the local princes were playing at a watering hole. And it shows, like, the dingbats swimming in a swimming pool. <laughs> it sounds like a good time. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. And then my other new issue is the new issue of Hellblazer. Cy Spurrier and Aaron Campbell and Jordi Belair have a new uh, Hellblazer series called Dead in America. That's a part of the Sandman universe again. Uh, again, uh, Black Label. But um, I haven't read it yet. There's only one issue. Looks cool, though. I think it's a continuation of the last Hellblazer series that was also Sandman universe. So, fingers crossed it's good. I got a little, there's a little fucking... Uh, what is that? Swamp Thing. Oh, yes. a Dream. Okay. So, yeah. Interesting tie-ins, hopefully. Yeah. Ooh, and on the back, there's an ad for the new Suicide Squad game. Ah. Holy shit, we have to talk about that. What if This, this yeah. should have come out, like, two years ago. It was originally, originally supposed to come out in 2022. Then it was pushed to 2023, and then 2024. And finally, they couldn't wait anymore, and it was finally released. We talked about the trailer for this game... In the very first Fan Dome episode that we did in either 2020 or 2021, I can't remember. I remember that now. After you texted me, I went back and I watched the trailer, and it all came back to me. And I, it, that was a while ago. Yeah. The trailer looks cool, and apparently the cinematics are cool. But this game is evidently a fucking mess. <laughs> uh, so I hear it's a live service game, meaning that you have to play online. It's a looter shooter, meaning it's just run and gun. Apparently, there's, like, three things that you do in the game. Like, there's zero variation of gameplay. It's just, do the better gun, shoot it. <laughs> oh, dear. And that would be fine, but, like, this is the fucking Suicide Squad. If this was just a Deadshot game, then, yeah, load them up with guns. Or pick squad members that just use guns. But you've got King Shark and Captain Boomerang on the team. And everyone knows that King Shark loves his miniguns. And that Captain Boomerang's all about a sniper rifle. That's why they call him Captain Boomerang. Because he uses a sniper rifle. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus Christ, there's no very... Like, that's fucking ridiculous. People are negatively comparing it to the Avengers game from 2020, which was another live service game that was a notable failure. But even that game had fair, a fair amount of variety in its gameplay, and every fucking character played differently. 
If you're playing Hawkeye, you're using a bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. If you're playing as the Hulk, you're smashing stuff. It's not like everyone has Captain America's shield, you know? Right, like, that would be right. fucking ridiculous. There's and actually, that's yeah. exactly what this game is. Everyone's just dead shot. Uh, I don't know. It looks fucking awful. <laughs> the, there's been a lot of comparisons between it and Arkham Knight, which was the last game in this franchise, and it was released in 2015. There's a nine-year gap between those games, and Arkham Knight looks noticeably better. Like, profoundly better. <laughs> uh I don't know what happened with this. I did not buy Suicide Squad. I'll play it eventually. But this has just been getting me to replay Arkham Knight. (laughs) Because that game is fucking fantastic. And it's been a long time. And I got back into replaying it. And apparently I'm not the only one. Because I read like two or three days ago that uh, player stats for Arkham Knight have gone up 50% (laughs) in the last month. (laughs) Everyone's like, oh, this is what it used to be. It used to be good. Nostalgia. Yeah. I also read that when, going back to that Avengers game, when that was released, its opening weekend, it had a player count of 28,000, which was like a failure. Like only 28,000 people played this game that spent, you know, cost millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And then it just went down from there. Well, Suicide Squad opened with 13,000. Oh, <laughs> That's half what the Avengers had. Oh my God. And at, at present time, it's only got, I think, like 4,000 daily players. Whereas Arkham Knight, again, again, it's nine years old, has like three and a half thousand. Jeez, that's humbling. So anyway, don't make live service games. Make good games. Exactly. That's, that's exactly. <laughs> As anyone who's listened to this podcast even once, it probably recalls I'm not a gamer, but I did look up the news on this, and I was surprised to hear that um, IGN did not get an advanced copy. Oh, yeah. Most places didn't get advanced copies. IGN, though, is, like, so Yeah, oh, yeah. And... Like, that's one of the biggest video game reviewers ever. Yeah, because they're, they're trying to minimize the damage. And, mm-hmm. like, it's just triage now. Well, if people don't play it early, then people won't talk about how shitty it is early. You know? <laughs> well, another thing that confused me was, again, I'm, I have a loose understanding of the plot. Um, but, it, and maybe I'm off base here, but, like, the Justice League gets... Um, mind-wiped whatever by Brainiac, and Brainiac's not even in the game. So I'm not... Sh- I don't know if that's true or not. He is in the game. He is, okay. okay. He just doesn't come in as a boss until the very end. And he just mimics the Flash's boss fight. No, <laughs> It's really? just, yeah. Because early in the game, you have to fight all the Justice League right. members, and you have to kill them. Which, again, it's like, you're literally murdering the Justice League in this game. And... If this was its own thing, that wouldn't bug me. Like, if this was its own game where, hey, you're the bad guys, you need to go kill the Justice League. Cool, great. But this is tied into the Arkham franchise of games. Mm -hmm. We've already had four of those games. We have a very established lore and a really cool world that this game series has created. And this Batman that we have followed for four games. And now we get to see him as just a mind-controlled asshole killing people. And he gets tied to a bench and shot in the head. The end. That's the noble end for this Batman. That's super fucking weird. <laughs> Massively underwhelming. Yeah. That's too bad. Uh, I yeah, I don't get the decisions behind the scenes that we came to that. Because again, like I don't have any necessarily strong opinions about fighting an evil Justice League. If it's its own story or an Elseworlds or whatever. But the fact that this storyline is a continuation of one that I really like, it feels really weird to have it end that way. Right. And I'm not even saying don't kill Batman, just 
the way they do it where all the heroes become villains and then just unceremoniously put down <laughs> that's just that's narratively that is not fulfilling sorry boy gotta put you down and if that's what they're going for is like some kind of some kind of like massive cock tease to like just piss you off and be like well you don't even get to play just like they're all dead now <laughs> then i guess like good job <laughs> but also i who cares like you you failed <laughs> you've completely misread the assignment <laughs> Well, that's just unless you're unless you're very dedicated to the property. I and mean, I'm not saying that's not the right word, but unless you're going to really invest in the storytelling, like why shoot yourself in the foot by even tying your game to a beloved franchise? Yeah. Just like you said, make it its own thing, and then you won't. I mean, even if your game sucks, you at least you won't have you know people who love that franchise mad at you. Well, they could have. There's a lot of things they could have done with this. They could have just done a fucking Superman game, like they've been hinting at for nine years or they could have done a suicide squad game that was interesting like they fucking they made an arkham suicide squad movie back in 2014 i think called assault on arkham where it followed deadshot and the suicide squad as they break into arkham asylum to break out the riddler Mm -hmm. and uh that was a really really cool fun suicide squad story that would have made a way better story than this fucking game (laughs) i don't i don't get it it's, it's the same problem that I have with, like, the David Ayer Suicide Squad movie in that they made the threat too fucking big. You have to do a lot of narrative gymnastics to get to a point where Harley Quinn can kill Superman. <laughs> oh, boy, howdy. Yes. Do you ever. Do you ever. So the fact that they had to do all that shit for this game, it's, you know, oh, we got to get the thing to make the super kryptonite because only super kryptonite can stop him now. Bit, 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 bit. I also heard that King Shark ends up with a, a lantern ring. Oh, I, I don't know. I haven't seen the ending. That sounds terrible. But it does. Well, especially if they're not going to let him use a minigun. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> huh. Well, R.I.P. Yeah. Squad game. Yeah. I can't believe this. And it's like, they're such a good developer, man. Rocksteady, who made this fucking thing, have made so many great games. Arkham Asylum redefined what it means to make a superhero game. Superhero games were jokes before that, and that game was great. Arkham City, the sequel, is one of my favorite games of all time. It's fucking fantastic. Arkham Knight is really, really good. That's the the third one that they made. It's really, really good. At the time, when it first came out, it got a lot of criticism for its use of the Batmobile, because you drive the Batmobile in it, and you basically use it like a tank. And there's a lot of these weird tank battles that you do in the game. And it's true, there's too many of those, but it's still just a really fucking good game. (laughs) The (laughs) mechanics of it are solid. Flying around Gotham feels amazing. And it's got a shitload of characters to fight. You You can fight Deacon Blackfire in that game. Have you ever heard of Deacon Blackfire? Of course not. Nobody's heard of that character. But he's a Batman villain from the 80s. (laughs) They bring him in there. Uh, the world is so well populated with characters and references. You can you can visit John Constantine's detective agency in that game. Like you can find his his office. This is John Constantine, adult de- uh, uh, adult <laughs> occult detective. <laughs> he's an adult detective. Yeah, exactly. Right. No, that sounds like a really broad world that they built. Yeah, and really really good series that was just went out like a fucking lead balloon. <laughs> Died with a whimper. Anyway, that's really too bad. I was hoping that game would be good, but also kind of felt like it wasn't going to be. 
I'll play it eventually. Right now, it's so to get the exclusive edition air quotes that gave you two days or three days of uh, early access cost a hundred fucking dollars, and you got exclusive skins for your characters. Well, no, the skins that you got for your characters were like baseline. To get the full skins for them, you had to pay an extra thirty dollars. <laughs> Just nickel and diming, and that three days of extra access. Uh, the first day the servers weren't went down, so nobody could play for a whole day. <laughs> well, that brings up a, a question, and again, I have a very loose understanding of this, but do you think it's safe to say that maybe the quality and reception of this game was so poor because maybe the developers had all these different avenues they had to control in terms of getting the consumer to spend more money, and you don't actually own the game that you yeah, bought? Exactly. Very, very likely. It's... Uh, Games as a live service has been something that studios have been pushing for a long time, like the last five, six years. Aside from a very select couple of games, like Fortnite, no other game has been able to capitalize on that. Every other game that's tried to force this live service down somebody's throat has been a failure. And the reason they want that live service is because that way some, somebody's not paying 100 bucks for a game now, they're paying like $60 now, $20 in a month, $25 a month after that, you know? And so, like, they, they keep they keep forcing money out of you, but that's not how people want to play their games. Right. Not right. everyone's 12 years old and wants to play Fortnite all goddamn day. Exactly. And those who do that play Fortnite. They don't want another Fortnite. <laughs> yeah. They don't give a shit about Suicide Squad kills the Justice League. Exactly. <laughs> huh. Well, then. So, anyway, fuck Suicide Squad. I am so annoyed that this game happened this way, but whatever. Well, speaking of killing and bodies and whatnot. Yeah, nicely done. I know, uh, right? We're talking about bodies, which is 2015 comic? 2015, I think? 14, I think. 14, okay. Close enough. By writer Cy Spencer and a variety of artists, Dean Ormston, Megan Hetrick, Phil Winslade, and Tula Lote. Yeah, we're talking about the book, but also the show, because it was recently adapted into a Netflix series. What was that? Uh, winter? Fall? Whatever. A couple months back. Fall, I think. Yeah, fall. Anyhow, so the story is is a dead body shows up in Long Harvest Lane in London in, what, in the book it's 2014? Um, it's, 2014. Yeah. And then the same body shows up mysteriously again in, what, 1890? Yes. And then again in 1940? And then again in 2050. Yeah. And just the mystery of why this singular dead body keeps popping up in history. And the show has basically the same conceit. They fudge the times a little bit to make it 2023 instead of 2014. And a couple of the other timelines, I think a couple of the other years were changed slightly. But other than that, it's basically the same story. And in that being the same story, it's a completely fucking different story. <laughs> different experience. <laughs> yes. I was surprised at how fucking different some of the story goes. I watched the show first when it was new. I ran through all the episodes. I was like, oh, this is a cool kind of sci-fi thriller whodunit. Mm-hmm. Kind of a conspiracy thriller, sci-fi story, time travel whodunit. And then I read the book and I'm like, oh, this isn't sci-fi at all. This is a... This is a horror thriller, not even really a whodunit, more of a why done it, and even that is not explained. Yes, yes. <laughs> the, the, the book is filled with questions that don't really get adequate answers. 
But I liked, I don't know, I liked them both. I did too. I liked them both, but I also felt like both of them are very flawed. <laughs> yes, yes, that's a good way to describe it. And um, I think people's reaction to it depends on your patience for vague narratives. Yeah, you know, whether you true. need things resolved in black and white or not. The comic, so I guess the, the biggest point of difference to me, other than just the reasoning for the body, is the future segments, the 2050 segments. Yeah. So in the show, it's a pretty standard detective story with a cop named Iris Maplewood finding a dead body in Long Harvest Lane, talking to her supervisor, but using like fucking sci-fi, like vaguely sci-fi shit to solve the murder. And in the comic, it's a dystopian, technology-less future right. where people don't have memories. Yes. The main character talks about the pulse wave. Is yes. that what it is? Something happened at some point called the pulse wave that wiped out everyone's memories. So everyone's like fucking Leonard from Memento. Right. Where they only remember like the last 15 minutes or so. With this really strange humor thrown in. Yes, very yeah. weird. And the main character is also named, or the, the future detective is also named Maplewood, but she's not even really a detective. Right. She's just the daughter of the woman that created the Pulse Wave. You find that out, like, in the last issue. And the fact that she's looking into the bodies doesn't really make, there's no reason for it. Right. She just finds the body and then has a little kid look at it who starts eating it. And I'm like, <laughs> what is fucking going on? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was so confused, probably the first two or three issues of the future stuff. And then I finally settled into a groove in it where I'm like, I kind of like how fucking weird this is. <laughs> yeah, it threw me off at first, too. Because the first the first um, entry, of course, is in 1890, right? No, the first one is oh, 20, no, 2014. 2014, then 1890, and... Does 1940 come before? I think 2050 comes before 1940. Okay, yeah. Well, anyway, the you know it starts off as very dramatic, um, 2014, and then you know it's got its feels very modern, um, feels like it could be again just happening this year and not you know almost 10 years ago, um, and then 1890, it's got this very Victorian kind of gothic feel to it, still somewhat feels like it's based in historic reality. Well, it is. I mean, the, the Jack the Ripper murders are happening at the same time. And then... Uh, no, they're a couple years before. A couple years before? Jack the Ripper murders were 1888. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me, but yes. Mm. Thank you. But it's still Whitechapel. Right, and they're still talking about... Yeah, yeah. yeah trying to find so out deep who in the public consciousness. Yes. And then you, you know, again, we get launched to 2050, and there's, you know, Iris with her bow and arrow... Who are you and what do you remember? And she finds the body and she can't remember why she's there. So she's like sitting on it. Yeah, why well, I was going to say that. She's like, <laughs> she goes, uh, hello? And she's looking at the body. She's like, oh, I know what, I know what this is. It's one of those, those, come on, Maplewood, get it together. One of those four, five, six, seven, A, B, C, D, E, F. I'm hungry. I might have a ship's biscuit. No, I'm not supposed to, no, no, I'm supposed to be doing something. And she's sitting on the dead body. Something with this? I want to say giraffe, jelly, telescope. It's harder when I'm outside. The pulse wave, so much stronger in the open air. The streets used to be full of these. Remember, remember, pickle sticks, twine, credenza. Got it! My name is Maplewood, and this, this is a corpse. <laughs> I knew I'd get it eventually. Smart as a sink plunger, me. 
It's just that. Right, right. She has like, she acts like a seven-year-old child, but there's this decaying, gross body in the frame. But so yeah, that threw me off a little bit at first. Oh, hello there. Sorry, that's one of my coworkers asking about how my night was last night. <laughs> <laughs> I, I keep her up to date. <laughs> <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> anyway, uh, that was strange. The future... All the others hew far closer to the show's story, or the show hews closer to the book story. Yes. That one is completely fucking different. Ooh. Even Maplewood. They change her name halfway through. When they start talking about her mother named Bellwood... So it's like, and then they start calling her Bellwood. I'm like, what the fuck? So does she even remember her name? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's weird. Very strange. Um, Not bad, just weird. Yeah, it took a lot for me to get into that aspect. The present day focuses on a detective named Shahara Hassan. And the start of her story is pretty similar to the show's. Then it diverges like they all do into some completely different areas this guy what's his name? barber yeah sidekick he's in the show as well wait that's not the wrong that's the wrong time period her, her sidekick there barber he wherever he is he's in the show as well there's a really really weird exchange between them uh because the, it's eventually revealed that he's been like keeping tabs on her and using her as a scapegoat or whatever which kind of happens in the show too for a completely different reason but there's that scene where they find the body in the is it a body? Yeah, right here. They find that dead body in the park. And they're talking about it and, like, you know, being cops. And it's already been established that they fucked the night before. You, you think they really did? Uh, it. She says they did. And he's like, ooh, you're telling the secrets. <laughs> well, the, the, I, well, sorry, not that it really matters, but um, she was trying to goad that, that yeah. racist. Yeah, yeah. And she said it, and I thought, like, she was just making it up because she says, I'm going to pay for that later. Yeah. He's looking at her sideways like, ha, ha, ha. Like, oh, maybe she's open to the idea of having sex with me. Because they show them... I don't. I mean, you don't see them fucking, but she comes over. Yeah, he does, that's true. So maybe they did. Yeah. I just it assumed... I mean, it was clearly there to spend the night. Well, I'm fabulously naive about these things, so... <laughs> <laughs> he probably did. Ah, less so for me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so they're looking at the body, and then he's like, ooh, like, we should fucking have some fun in the... In the shrubbery over there. <laughs> and uh, she goes, uh, what does he say? He's like, it's already my nickname with the wo- wooden tops at the station. A bit of a mouthful, isn't it? That's my other nickname. <laughs> and then he like grabs her. Like, come on. And she's like, what are you playing at? And then she just fucking like beats him up. And like, that's such a weird escalation between both of them. Like, they're having fun banter. And then he's like, no, we're going to fuck in the bushes. And then she kicks his ass. And like, right. What the fuck just happened? It kind of goes from zero to 40 yeah. in like six seconds. It's like they suddenly both become strangers. Right. Like they didn't, again, just, if nothing else, they at least spent an evening together, like watching TV and having dinner, which I assume there was more to it than that. But if nothing else, they're at least friends. Right. And then suddenly they're like enemies. <laughs> and, well, exactly. And he goes from kind of flirtatious, yeah. oversteps the lines a little bit to almost full out sexual assault yeah, exactly like, what? Whoa, wait. And, and then she beats him up and it, there's such a weird i don't know there it, it, it just that scene f- plays profoundly strangely well and then i mean well maybe they didn't care if it was a surprise or not but then when you find out that he has been keeping tabs on yeah. her it's not really a surprise exactly yeah if they 
if they had made their their trust a little more realistic, that would have been much more of a surprise. So that's Shahara. She's the modern day cop. Yes. And then in nineteen forty, there's what's his name, uh, Whiteman or Carl Weissman, aka Charles Whiteman, uh, who is a Jewish uh, like expatriate from Poland. Is that right? Yes. Who escaped during the Nazi invasion, and of all the characters in the show, he's probably the most that's un. No, that's not true. I was gonna say he's the one that's most unlike his character in the book, but that would still be Maplewood. They're fucking yeah, so different. True. Uh, the difference between them is that in the show, Weissman is a flawed anti-hero. Mm-hmm. One of those, mm, you just gotta you just, I just gotta figure out things and I'll, I'll be the hero. I'll, I'll make the right choice eventually. Whereas in the book, he is the worst person ever. <laughs> he's, he's evil. Yeah, exactly. He's horrible. And I really, really like that about the book. I loved the fact that one of our heroes is just uh, a murdering asshole, like an unrepentant murdering asshole. But he's he's forced himself into a position of authority who now has to deal with his dead body. <laughs> right, right. And I think that's way more interesting than, like, the crook with a heart of gold. <laughs> you know? True. And I've seen a billion times. And is her name Esther in the book? It is. Okay. Yes. The character of Esther is also very different. Both versions... That's a child who is associated with Weissman who meets an untimely end. In the show, she's like a street urchin who is trying to, uh, what's the word, trying to blackmail Weissman into like getting money or whatever. And he gets tasked with executing her. But of course, he's like, no, I'm going to save this kid. And the moral ambiguity of what's he going to do? No, he's going to try to save her. But then she gets killed by... An assassin, yes. that lady. Polly. Yes, that's right. Whereas in the book, <laughs> she's only seen in one panel in flashback as his niece, yeah. who he uses to get out of Poland by essentially like pimping her out and then fucking murdering her. <laughs> right. And he's telling this in the yeah. book, he's telling this German loop waffa, the, um, the captured pilot. The captured pilot, yeah. yeah. Telling him the story about how he can't. It's a yeah. total bald faced oh, yeah, lie. This this Nazi officer, he fell in love with my 18 year old niece. niece. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and then he got his papers to get out. And he's like, whoa, look at that. We're not all bad. And then you like show the, show the uh, true story of him cutting the Nazi's throat and then shooting her in the head. I'm like, Jesus Christ. I had to just like stare at that page for a little bit to really take in what I was seeing. Me too. I did not anticipate one of our heroes would be that irredeemable. Right, right. Because like you, I had watched the show first, and then when I came to that panel, I was like, oh, yeah. oh, you're just a bastard. <laughs> it was really interesting. It was. And then again, the show, uh, since you can't, you can't just kill off a kid, and, and you can't have a, a main character that's that evil. So then the show, through time travel, she comes back to life, and he meets her, and they're going to they're gonna, you know, take on the world together right. at the end. <laughs> it's just a saccharine ending. Save the future. Yeah. And the fact that every, or not every, but half of the main characters have, like, deaths in the show mm-hmm. that then get undone by the end. And, like, I mean, come on, man. It's okay for somebody in 1940 or 1890 to meet their end. Right. Like, you know they're going to die eventually. It's okay to show that they die. I think it would have been, a, well, a, a better story beat, personally. Because uh, in the show, Iris 
goes back in time. She goes back to 1890, and when she does, she loses her like her bionic spine oh, yeah. that helps her to walk, so yeah. she's paralyzed. I think it would have been that much more impactful if she had stayed there and died. Yeah. yeah. I mean... Well, and she ends up in 2023. 20, 2023. Yeah. I don't understand how that... I don't know. Whatever. So this fucking show... <laughs> <laughs> Explain. Well, no, sorry. All right, sorry. Let's go back to the timelines. We were talking about each of the detectives. Yes. So then the last one is Hillinghead from 1890. Um, he is a Whitechapel cop who, uh, in the book, gets involved with, like, a cult yeah. that finds, like, this Lovecraftian, de- they summon a Lovecraftian demon who becomes Jack the Ripper. It's is that, very is, strange. Is that how you read it? I wasn't yes. sure. Okay. That's definitely how, how okay. it is. And it was also one of the bodies. It is the body, right? Yes. He is both Jack the Ripper and the body? Yeah. And there's just weird tentacles. I don't know. It's very, very strange. Yeah. There's so much of the book that's underexplained. So, okay. Let's, <laughs> the show is all about time travel. The body is a time travel researcher in the future who gets manipulated by this guy, who's a new character for the show, kind of, named Mannix, into going back in time and creating a time loop, which will then create him. Yes. yes. So he's his own grandpa. (laughs) (laughs) Going back to the original. Quite literally. (laughs) So he's literally his own grandpa. And that, so that's the whole thrust of the story. He goes back in time to 1890. He meets Killinghead's daughter, they have a kid, blah, 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 you know, like four generations down the line, he creates himself. Right. And he leaves himself records telling him how to get to the point where he then goes back in time. Okay. <laughs> the dead body has nothing to do with that, though. Right. It's, just, it's the researcher who then gets in the way and gets shot in the eye by, by Maplewood as Mannix is going back in time. So then his body gets hurtled through time and dies Mm -hmm. in these three spots in time. Very odd. It's hard to explain. And it's the time travel. Okay, so one of the things about the book is that the body is marked with this logo that looks like a double H. Right. Because it actually is a double H. It's this family's crest. And the family is a part of this cult called the Mithras. Yes. And the double H stands for something Harker. Harold Harker? Harold Harker, maybe? I think so. Who was a uh, spiritualist and uh, like a seance practitioner, whatever, con man. (laughs) Um, Henry Harker. Henry, yeah. Um, So that that logo is his family's crest. So then Harker is in the show, but it's Mannix. (laughs) It just becomes Harker in the past. So that character is technically from the book. He's just a different character all around. Very, yeah, very strange, like, the time travel thing. So it's literally just about this guy creating a time loop for himself so that he ensures that he's born. And in doing so, accidentally throws another body back in time. Right. And then the dead body doesn't even die. Like, they save that guy in the future. <laughs> so so odd. Um, it starts to scramble your brain if you yeah. think too much about it. It didn't for me, anyway. And the book is even more confusing because the body is a mythological embodiment of murder? <laughs> you got farther than I did. Because he's a 
he's a a part of a duo, right? Who pop up thousands of times throughout history just to kill each other? Are they Cain and Abel, Maybe. or are they just? Are was Cain and Abel a a iteration of them? It even shows them like on the moon, right? In just a glass case, killing each other, and then in like oh shit, like the Renaissance period and the. I don't know, past. <laughs> you uh, you actually had a, a more depth reading of it than I did. We were talking before we hit record on the podcast here, Colby and I were talking, and I wanted to read the book before we recorded this too, so I'd have a better understanding of the material. And like I said previously, I don't know if I do have a better understanding after reading it. <laughs> yeah, it's just very strange. And I like the book for the fact that it's, not just time travel. Because you're like, oh, there's a body in different time periods. Ooh, time travel. That's an easy answer. Right. I like that the book doesn't give you that answer, but the answer that we get isn't an answer. And the ghosts, maybe not even ghosts, just the apparition, the, the form of this mythical dead body comes back and talks to the detectives right. into helping solve the case, but there is no case. So, like, like there is... If you're a mythical creature that's continuing a cycle of death and resurrection, who the fuck cares if somebody solves your murder? Right. Uh, the only, the, one of the things I really liked about it is the fact... Oh, sorry. One of the things that I really liked about the book, though, is the fact that Long Harvest Lane plays into it. Mm-hmm. The name Long Harvest. These, these characters, creatures, whatever the fuck they are, are heralds of the Long Harvest. Right, yeah. Which is implied might have to do with the pulse wave... Maybe. In the end, I don't, I don't know. Not anything concrete. Like, nothing is set in stone. There's a lot of ways you could look at this or not look at it. So it's very strange. Very, very open to interpretation. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I liked it, but uh, I don't, I don't know. The show and the book both have some considerable flaws and some interesting strengths. And I feel like there would have been a better way to adapt the book to flesh out what's in the book without changing the core concept, mm-hmm. like without adding the sci-fi element. I think you could have done that a little more elegantly instead of just being like, it's, it's time travel. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there probably is a more elegant way to do it, but I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the writers of the show read it and were like, how the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> we have to make this make some semblance of sense. Yeah, I I liked the book as well. I don't know if I let me take that back. I would I can only think of a few people who I would recommend it to that might get something out of it. I think a lot of people, um, and this is not a slam against anybody's taste, but a lot of people might read this and be like, "Well, what the fuck? Yeah, you know, why the fuck? <laughs> uh, what did you just give me?" <laughs> so yeah, um, I did like the way they adapted it. I think it would have been. I don't know, I just would have liked it if they had been able to explain some things in the show that weren't explained in the book. Yeah. But, you know, the acting was good. Yeah. It was well shot. I know the term slow burn gets thrown around all the time, so where it's almost lost its meaning. But I felt like the show was a really great example of a slow burn. I didn't even think it really had that slow of a burn. I mean, it was a detective story, so you're following the clues with the detectives. Mm-hmm. And, yes. like, getting to... getting. 
oh, well, this leads to this answer, which then is going to lead to this question, which then leads to the next answer, and then the next question. And I, I liked that about it. I th it's far more of a detective story than the book is. True. Because one of the detective stories in the book isn't even a fucking detective story. It's a wacko who doesn't know language, who doesn't have a memory, who's just the strangest thing ever. One thing that I think the book, sorry, one thing that I think the show did better is the uh, repeated term. There's a, there's a phrase that's repeated throughout the series, which is, you are loved. Right. Remember, you are loved, you know. And the book, there's really no meaning to it other than it's something that the body says. Mm -hmm. And in the show, it's something that Mannix like engraves into his records to remind his future self that he is loved. And it becomes like a mantra for this cult that's keeping this bloodline alive. Right. Um, which I thought was interesting. That was like a way to signify that somebody's in on it. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the book, it's just something that gets repeated by this dead body along with talking about the long harvest. Right. And it goes back to the bog man that they watch a documentary about. And yeah, I, so I don't know. I, I couldn't tell if there was supposed to be a deeper meaning to that phrase in the book. Me neither. And I've, I don't know if it's a very loose, loose, like Jesus Christ allegory, because at some point in the book, it's like, he's, I don't know, he's so many things, this body, but it's like a Jesus Christ vampire. I mean, there's several parts in the book where the character, like he opens up his wrist and the characters are just like. Yeah, drinking his blood. Yes, that was obviously very, very Christian imagery-ish. Uh, yeah, like a sacrament from this creature. Have you seen the movie Men? Yes. It reminded me of that as well. Oh. The guy that Rory Kinnear plays. So he essentially is playing a modern interpretation of the Green Man. He's yes. like a mythological character in British myths. And he plays every male character in this movie and just different versions. And there's a whole end scene in the movie Men where he goes through a repeated cycle of death and resurrection. Like on camera, you see it happen. Falls over dead and grows a new body, and then falls over dead and grows a new body. And that section reminded me of this character in the book. And in that sense, how men, the movie, has so little explanation in it as well, that that almost felt like more of an adaptation of this story than than the movie. Like if you could combine the movie Men with the TV show bodies. You get the book bodies. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a truer adaptation, perhaps. That's an interesting way to look at it, but yeah. Side note, I saw the movie Men in the theater with a audience full of people who had no fucking clue what they were walking into and were very vocal about hating what they were watching. <laughs> really? It was like, I remember sitting down there and like, you guys have no idea what, what this is, and you are going to all hate it. And sure enough, they did. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck, huh? Yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah, I, I didn't watch it with anybody. I watched it by myself. But, yeah, um, it wasn't what I expected, but then I didn't really expect anything. I was just like, oh, that looks like a very intriguing thriller slash horror and Rory Kinnear looks terrifying, so yeah. yeah, I'll give it a shot. My favorite thing about just the making of the movie, so it was it was directed by Alex Garland, who also wrote it. So he wrote 28 Days Later, oh, yeah. Sunshine. Uh, he wrote the script for Dread and was also an uncredited director on it. Okay. His first movie that he directed was Ex Machina with uh, really? 
yeah, Donald Gleason and yeah. Oscar Isaac, Alicia Vikander. That movie was was a critical success, and I think it did okay at the box office. So then he followed that up with Annihilation, which I really like that movie, but was a box office bomb. Or was it really? And I think oh. I think it critically did pretty well, but most of the people that saw it were like, "Oh, this is this is weird and insular and isolating," and I don't like that it has a open ending and there's too much open to interpretation and he was like fuck it i'm gonna make men <laughs> like you thought you thought that was isolating and open to interpretation will suck my fucking dick here's men check it out <laughs> good for him i just i love the balls on him to do that because i knew that this was not going to be a movie that was going to make any money but damn is it a singular vision uh, and a voice like you could feel the thought and the artistry behind it and i really liked it <laughs> i did too it was really unsettling i yes. i and i'm still trying to put my finger on exactly why but um i'm not ashamed to admit that after i watched that movie i turned on all the lights and called my mom and was like hey mom what are you doing <laughs> it was yeah it uh did not leave me feeling very warm there was no warm and fuzzies so okay going back to bodies <laughs> going back to the focus of this episode yes. Each uh, storyline, each time period in the comics has a different artist. Yes. Uh, I really like that about it. Me too. Uh, Because, like, uh, Ormston was 1890, Hetrick was 14, Winslade was 40, and Lote was 50. Uh, What was your favorite art style? I really like Lote. Just something about the kind of the pastel bright colors of such a weird and wonky future yeah. I thought was very fitting. It was all good, but I'm a big sucker for um, anything Victorian Gothic, yeah. so of course I like that. Um, yeah, my favorite was 1890, partially because it was all... Uh, it was like Frank Miller, black and white and red. Oh, yeah. I oh, really I really liked that artistic flourish. The biggest color palette choice of the 2050 was the yellow sky like everything was yellow yes the sky was yellow for some reason very bold the 1940s one was uh very muted and and dark probably reflective of the time period Mm -hmm. and the modern day stuff was like the most quote comic booky yeah obviously comic booky i guess no that's a good way to put it uh, but I, I think my favorite was that weird nineteen or eighteen nineties style for that one, and I really liked the character of Hillinghead. It was really interesting, like the idea of, of uh, uh, his character's closeted homosexual in like the eighteen nineties, and the show and the book takes such drastically different takes on that. Uh, in the show, he's married and has a wife children and he falls in love with a male photographer and like their love is secret and forbidden and in the show like oh so sorry in in the show he like it's almost like he doesn't he either doesn't understand at first that he's gay Mm -hmm. or he's so deep in denial and in the closet that he won't admit to himself so when he like falls in love with this guy it's like an awakening for him and in the book he knows he's gay he knows he has to be closeted just for safety and uh he has this whole relationship with a prostitute who, like, he'll blindfold himself and she talks like a guy while she's sucking him off. Right. <laughs> and right. I was like, that's a really, that's a really, like, interesting way around that. Because, you know, you still got the desire. You still have to let that out. So he finds a way where he can tap into that without being judged. And I, I thought that was a really clever way to, to go into that. 
And then, like, even that, that plot point then gets changed. Totally. Because then later, totally. he's like, oh, I'm a hermaphrodite. And he's like, oh, look at that. You had a dick the whole time. <laughs> like, that's weird. Like, why, why right. would that? And then the Mithras are like, oh, we're all going to be gay now. We have to be gay because you're gay. And you're, you're our like, champion. You're our champion. You're like, the fuck? <laughs> like, so any social commentary that the book was leading to with that story just gets wiped away in a bit of fantasy. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And I mean, technically the show does the same thing because he still gets a happy ending and his, his persecution gets wiped away. True. Because in the show he essentially gets executed because he is, uh, he is blackmailed for like being gay. They take f- revealing photos of him with a man and that ends up biting him in the ass, and then he commits suicide. Is that right? I thought he was killed. Or did, was he? I, they, I think they say he commits suicide. Yeah. I thought Mannix talked him into it. Oh, did he? Didn't Mannix like give him a gun and be like, "Fucking shoot yourself" or whatever. <laughs> I I thought he was, and again, I could totally be wrong. I thought he was killed and they covered it up as suicide Maybe. because he went to Mannix and he's like, "I know who you are. Yeah. I know what you're trying to do." But then Mannix talks to him in the in the jail car in the fucking whatever it's called. The, Paddy wagon? Paddy wagon, sure. And I, <laughs> sure. I thought it was him, like, talking him into killing himself. Like, Maybe think he of did. your family. Maybe he did. Um, I don't remember. Regardless, at least, at least the show delved into the danger of that a bit more before it hand-waved it. Because <laughs> they both hand-wave it. They do. <laughs> Just in different yeah. ways. And I can't remember the actor's name who played Hillinghead and the, uh, the uh, guy who played the photographer. But they had Hillinghead gr- is Kyle Soller? Kyle Soller. I don't know. They had fabulous chemistry. Oh, there it is. Yeah. George Parker. George Parker. The photographer. Ash. Who is, there's a photographer in the comic, very briefly. Yes. <laughs> but Hillinghead takes his own photographs. And that's like a plot point in the comic. That nobody wants to take a photo of a dead body, like a dead naked body. So he's like, fuck it, I'll do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think that's funny that like, the the comic goes out of its way to say, there is no photographer. And the show, they're like, well, here's a photographer. Yeah. By the way, we're going to give this guy a speaking yeah. part. Yeah. But no, I, I I feel like that was handled really well. And I, um, I'm a sucker for a good forbidden love. And I thought that they did yeah. really well together. I, uh, yeah, I liked both of those stories until the end, yes. I guess. And I just, I don't like that the show used time travel to fix everyone and everything. That's a really lazy thing. It's like it was all a dream. It's the same thing, you know? Um, There's certain stories where I'll accept that. Like Deadpool 2, a goofy fucking superhero comedy. Yeah, sure, use the time travel to bring back your girlfriend. That's acceptable to me. (laughs) But like a dark story, like this is supposed to be like a murder mystery that's dark and fucking horror or whatever. Like the fact that they use time travel as just a clean slate machine was too much for me in the end. Yeah, yeah. Too neatly wrapped up. So I think the book edges it out in that regard for me. I think I like the book slightly more because the ending is messy. Maybe too messy? <laughs> but I guess I'd rather too messy than too clean. That is true. And the, well, the big thing I didn't like about the ending of the show was, you're right, it was very wrapped up in a nice bow. But, like, they left it open for a season two, and I'm like, this show really doesn't need a season two. No. Like, there's... I don't think you, unless you're going to totally change the story again, there's nowhere else you can do it. It won't get a season two. It was actually released as a limited event. Oh, That's good. what they called it, like a limited series or whatever. It's not not season one, not whatever. 
Uh, I did notice, though, in the credits, they list Vertigo. It says based on the DC Vertigo series. True, yeah. Um, which nowadays, uh, DC is trying to purge Vertigo from any of their marketing or adaptations. Like, you know, Constantine just says based on the DC character, or mm-hmm. same with Sandman, nice. just says the, the DC comics. So it was nice to actually see Vertigo in the credits of a series in 2023. Yes, given its proper dues. Um, (laughs) There is a couple lines in the book. Um, It's not that they're horrible, but there was one in particular that made my inner 12-year-old just chuckle like Beavis and Butthead. Where was it? It was in 1890. The part that you... Yes, here it is. Yes. Um, Oh, yes, he... (laughs) Hilling's head is having sex with basically the body, whoever this person is. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, right? right? You're like, what, what, where, how? And he, uh, after, I think it's after he gets attacked in the street and whacked over the back yeah. of the head. And he wakes up in his flat, and there's the body, and they start making out, and the body starts going down on him, and... Um, what does he say? A carriage ride of fumbling and rumbling carriage wheels of heartbeat hoofbeats to my lodgings where at last I surrendered to myself and drank him down in a sweet and holy communion of brine and blasphemy. Brine and blasphemy. Yes. Um, not to be vulgar, but tell me you swallow without telling me you swallow. <laughs> so that was a little bit... Ah. Oh, and this gets brought up twice in the book. Um, once in 1890 by Hillingshead, then in 2050 by Maplewood. What... Tastes like green honey. The only thing I can think of is chlorophyll, so plants and yeah, honey. Yeah, green. Yeah, I don't know what that was all about. I forgot about that. It's I mean, like, it's, that was one of those things I was expecting for an answer, or expecting an answer, because it is repeated. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that actually, total tangent aside, that sent me on a deep dive down the internet, because I was like, well, maybe I'm stupid. Maybe green honey is really a thing. Um, and apparently there's a place in... An island somewhere where, yes, bees make green honey because of the um, plants that they pollinate. Palawan Island. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then there was another story, I think it was from last year, 2022, where bees in France were making this green and blue honey because they found out that they were going to this nearby M&M factory and eating the waste. So, not that that means anything, but I was like, okay, so... Technically, there's green honey. Yeah, waste from M&M candy causes honey that's green <laughs> in, in France. That's funny. Go figure. But, um, so yeah, I mean, that's not bad writing or anything like that, but I just thought I got a chuckle out of it. I was like, huh, I don't know Brian about that. Brian Blasphemy. Mm-hmm. Sounds uh, like Friday night. Yeah. Hey, now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> not judging. Not judging. <laughs> what? I had a good night. Absolutely. Absolutely. Be free, my friend. Be I, uh, <laughs> reminds me of uh, the band Burden Brothers. Are you, you talking them? about them? Maybe. They're, so there was this band in the 90s called Toadies. One of my favorite bands oh, of yeah. all time. They have, had that song in the 90s called Possum Kingdom that everyone's fucking heard. Yes. Well, they had like a follow-up band called Burden Brothers. It was like Southern Fried Texas Rock, and which is kind of what Toadies was. Uh, they have this one song. I can't remember the name of it. I've only, I only have a live version of it. One of the lines of it says, I'm liquored up and ready to sin. <laughs> <laughs> Very applicable for Hillingshead and you. It's all good. <laughs> huh. Well, all in all, I would, um, 
But yeah, I I don't know if I'll keep bodies. I bought it. I might end up donating it to the library, but I'm not sorry that I read it. And the show, I enjoyed the show. I agree with you. Maybe the ending was a little bit too pat. Um, personally, I thought Hillingshead ending in the show was very sad. Not that he couldn't have a good life with his wife and daughter, you know, denying his true nature. But I don't know, it was sad to me because it was like he'll never... He'll never get to be who he really is as long as he lives. So I thought that was a little bit sad. He has a little, uh, like, like acknowledgement of the photographer. Yeah. The end. They, like, lock eyes for a second. I don't know. They, yeah, I mean, it, I, that's that's just a sad time in history. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I'm curious. I mean, yeah, at least he doesn't die, but, yeah, he still is condemned to being a part of history, I guess, or stuck in that time period. But I, I, I really didn't like Whiteman's ending, the whole thing of like, oh, everything's perfect now. I learned a lesson. I'm going to take care of this kid now. And I'm like, I've already watched this guy die twice now. Like he gets, <laughs> he gets executed for killing Mannix and then time is reset and then he gets gunned down in a, in a, a shootout at the, uh, the bar, the cop bar. Right. Which also happens in the book. They, they have that shootout uh, also in the book, um, although he doesn't die there. And then, but then, like, yeah, then he just gets away. And would he even learn anything? Does he remember those past lives? I don't know. Yeah. There's just, there's just a weird hopefulness to him at the end of that scene, at the end. And it's there's, not, there's an acknowledgement between him and the little girl, and I, I, did, I didn't like that. <laughs> well, it's maybe not entirely earned. I mean, again, the actors did a great job. I mean, whoever, I, what was the, what was the name of the guy who played Wiseman? Um, you did a good job of carrying those conflicting emotions, but I, uh, I lean towards your opinion that maybe it was a little bit clunky. Jacob Fortune Lloyd played Whiteman. Okay. Weissman. I, I really, I liked him in the role. I liked basically everyone in this. Uh, I really liked him, but yeah, just like I think it would have been better if, like, you know, he has like, he's like all happy and like chest swelling, and the little kid walks up and he's like, "Piss off, you fucking gutter trash." <laughs> <laughs> Knocks her down and then walks away to extort someone, <laughs> murder a gangster, or whatever. Life goes on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think that was... I liked his ending more in the book, but it also frustrated me more because that is a part of me that wants to know, like, why, why, why? Um, his ending? Well, I mean, why he, he was... Yes, but why he, I, I liked that part, and I like the fact that you know he's going to his execution, and he's totally unrepentant. Yeah. And he's like, "Well, you can't scare me with hell or whatnot." Yeah. And the body, John Bull, whoever this entity. Oh yeah, is. John Bull. I forgot they gave him a name. Yeah, yeah. that's a fucking that's a British reference. Uh, what does it mean? Uh, I forgot what it means. Let's see, isn't it like a like a national personification? especially in political cartoons and similar graphic works, usually depicted as a stout, middle-aged, country-dwelling, jolly, and matter-of-fact man. So it's like a personification of, like, the average British man, okay. I guess. Yeah. Oh, and we're looking at a World War One recruiting poster right now. So, yeah, he's kind of, maybe start, kind of started off like a version so, of Uncle Sam, kind of. My guess is that, that that the name in the book is just supposed to be he's, like, the British everyman. Hey, there you That's go. why they call him John Bull. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. 
I just remember in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie, Moriarty calls Quartermain. He's like, you like to think of yourself as the brave John Bull. Oh, I totally forgot that. Yeah. <laughs> so coming back around to that, I did, I did appreciate, I thought it was an appropriate ending for Wiseman in the comic where, you know, again, he's being all cocky about dying and, and uh, John Bull is basically like, oh, there's nothing for you. Yeah. There's nothing. You're done. And they put the hood over his head, and it's very well illustrated where you can see his eyes get really big right yeah. before he's hung. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was great. Again, that part still kind of frustrated me because I was, I did want to know. I was like, well, why are you here with Whiteman right now? Who are you? What does he mean to you? You know. Yeah, well, because I, I wasn't sure if it was just coincidence. Like, just the, these are the people that found the bodies, so they're the ones who have to deal with this shit. Maybe. Or if, like, they were chosen for any particular reason. Because obviously he has his old communion with John Bull also, where he drinks the blood and sees visions too. Right. So there's got to be some, yeah, I don't know. Fucking questions. <laughs> so many questions. It's fucking annoying. <laughs> Do that. <laughs> and Cy Spencer, the writer, we can't even ask him because he died. What, what happened? I don't know. <laughs> Let's look it up. I thought he was still alive. No, he died. That was one of the reasons that this was out of print for so long. Oh, okay. okay. He died in 2021. He was pretty young, wasn't he? Uh, he was 60, yeah. Oh, wow, that's too bad. It doesn't see what he, he worked on. Oh, yeah. Books of Magic, Life During Wartime. That's the first book I read of his. It's a Vertigo book. He also wrote Vinyl Underground, another Vertigo book. I have read the first few issues of that. It was decent. Did a lot of Judge Dredd, yep. uh, a lot of 2080 stuff, uh, bodies. A really, a really fine resume, so to speak. Yeah, yeah I thought he was still alive. Uh, that's too bad. He worked on a lot of British comics in the 90s. Looks like his first one was 89. Uh, in Crisis Magazine, and then he worked for Judge Dredd Magazine. Yeah, um, 2080. And then Vertigo. Uh, oh, he also did City of Demons, one of the Hellblazer spinoff series. Oh, yeah. Which was okay. Uh, I remember hating the art in that. Sean Murphy, who's an artist that I like, but he draws John Constantine in a leather jacket the whole time. Oh. I'm like, fuck you, man. Verboten! <laughs> John wore a leather jacket when he was a teen. <laughs> He's not an angsty teen anymore. <laughs> That's fair. Um... Well, that's something to bring up about the book, too, is that a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times, um, different artists contributing to a story can be really wonky, and that can sometimes take me out of it, because you go through one segment where you're like, oh, the art's really good, and then you go into another, and it's just a personal preference thing, that's all. Um, I didn't feel that with bodies. I liked all of the art. The fact that the art was delineated via time period? Yes. To me, makes it easier to, to roll with. If it was just every issue had a different artist, depending or regardless of the time period, that would probably drive me nuts. <laughs> yeah, stuff but, like that does kind of drive me nuts. That, I think it was a really good idea and a, a way to make each time period feel unique and individual while also being part of the whole. But that was well done. Here, here. So overall, I think I rate the book higher than the show. I liked both, but I didn't love either. I don't know how to force this into our myopic uh, rating system. <laughs> that is a good question. It's a little bit of a quandary. So they're both vertislows, the end. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, well, I, I don't know if I'll ever watch the show again. Again, not the show was good, but I don't know if it's something I will hurry back to re-examine. Whereas probably the book will eat away at me for a little while in terms of, I don't know, it's that rare combination of vague, but also interesting enough to make me wonder what exactly was going on there. Yeah. I didn't think it was, um, you know, there's some storylines that just, they're, they're so vague and they think that they're being clever, but you're like, well, no, you just don't know how to tell a fucking story. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that's the case here or if it's something deeper that my little mind just can't grasp. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it fine. Check them both out. Yeah. Tell <laughs> the, us what you think. The book is like price to own now. It was finally been reprinted. And it's only 16 bucks for the whole series. Very affordable. Which, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you can probably find it cheaper if you find it used or something. But uh, And the show is on Netflix. So it's so, a subscription, I guess. Here, here. <laughs> Netflix has become the streamer for all things Vertigo, so I have to throw my hat in their corner. We must support. You know, yes. I just fucking hate streaming in general. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know if you can see it, but on the lowest level over there, that's the Sandman Blu-ray. I see it. I got the, the series on Blu-ray. They actually really... You can fucking buy the first season of Sandman at Walmart. <laughs> I'm going to go do that. It's fucking awesome. That's I great. It. I didn't know that it came out on physical yeah, media. Of course. I'm, I'm sure that was written in Gaiman's contract. He likes physical media. Because uh, you know why? It's because then he can put it in libraries and have it checked out. That's the sole reason that Sandman audio drama is on physical and probably why this is. That just imbues me with an even fiercer love for the man. We love you, Neil Gaiman. For sure. Support your local library. Listen to Vertigo Voices. <laughs> if you've read Bodies, tell us what you thought of it. If you watched it, do likewise. Yeah, uh, vertigovoices at gmail.com. You can still, we still have that email address. I haven't told this story yet, but so obviously we went through, what, a year and a half of not recording. And in that time, I didn't check our email at all. <laughs> and then I went into it just, what if we still have that? I go into the email. There's two emails from people from October of 2022. <laughs> and I just noticed these a couple weeks ago, or I was probably a month and a half ago now. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Emailed both people back. Hey, sorry for the delay. Um, and I've made a couple friends as a result. So uh, Oliver from Germany and uh, Kyla, if you're listening, thanks for the support. Um, it's been fun chatting with both of you. Thank you, you guys. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, Facebook friends with both now. Oh, uh, Oliver, I actually, on Facebook, I, he and I were chit-chatting about other Vertigo adaptations and whatnot, and I mentioned, not Vertigo adaptations, just Vertigo books and stuff. We also both share a love for The Expanse, oh, which weirdly yeah. enough, he and I talked about that the day that we recorded our last episode, yeah. where we were talking about The Expanse, but he brought it up before that episode actually came out. So like, have you ever heard of The Expanse? I was like, well, you're in for a treat, Captain. Um, As a matter of fact. I was talking about this this Vertigo comic from the 90s called Pulp Fantastic, which we might have to get to eventually. Because there's a character in it, this detective on a space station named Puck Lovejoy, who looks exactly like Tom Jane in oh The Expanse. God. He's not a very main, main character in this comic, but like that... Like, holy shit, that looks exactly like Miller, Tom Jane's character. It does. Look at the nose. <laughs> That's Tom Jane's nose. Excuse me. Profile is so <laughs> is so on point. And again, this this 
show came out in 2016, 15? I don't know. I can't remember when the show started. This comic came out in the 90s. Wow. Yeah, it was just very strange. So anyway, Puck Lovejoy. Good luck looking him up because I don't think there's a single Google image of this person because nobody remembers Pulp Fantastic. I remember <laughs> Pulp Fantastic. Keep the memory alive. I was there. I saw it. <laughs> You're going to have to spread his image around. Well, interesting. Okay. Well, Oliver, Kyla, I'm going to, not to make it awkward, but to make it awkward, I'm going to have to find you on Facebook. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Uh, fuck. I have a goddamn Valentine's Day party to go to tonight. (laughs) Well, you're already on your way to making quite a few. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have an interesting Valentine that I made just, just for myself. I'm not going to talk about it because <laughs> I don't want to be put on a watch list. <laughs> just just ask in, in email. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you want to know the story yeah. of my Valentine, you, you're going to have to message me on Facebook. That's the only way to get the story of the Valentine that I made. Too bad we don't have a Patreon because then we could be like, oh, for a yeah, donation, true, Colby yeah. will make you your own yes. handmade Valentine. <laughs> <laughs> I show, Like I said, I showed it to many people friends and the reactions were either hilarious laughter or what is fucking wrong with you (laughs) humor or grave concern my like i showed it to one of the workers at my office and she was like wow so who are you giving this to and i was like no one it's just for fun she's like "Uh uh-huh do you need help like are you okay no worse than the rest of us I, uh, I, I I don't understand the question and refuse to answer it. <laughs> it's very personal. No. Uh, well, I think I'm out of thoughts to think out loud. Yeah, we're, we're, we're fucking done. So anyway, bodies. <laughs> Go watch, read bodies. It's fine. It's all fine. You know what it is? It's... Neat. It's neat. <laughs> I made myself... Did you make it? <laughs> a little... I made myself a, a little tiny. <laughs> I made myself a little uh, tiny trophy that just says "neat." <laughs> I had an ex-girlfriend that you told me one time that she loved the way I said "neat" because I always put so much vitriol in it. Just like, wow, that's neat. <laughs> And that is an excellent summation of this episode. It's neat. It's neat.